Do we think this is the block-sized wars 2.0? Is there anything different this time around or not? It's such a fascinating saga in Bitcoin's history. You have the people who are more conservative about the protocol who don't want to change as much, and then you have folks who want to innovate. This is definitely not the block size wars because there's no change needed to Bitcoin's protocol. We found a sweet spot of innovation to build assets on L1. I don't think the sweet spot is going to allow Ethereum functionality on the L1, but it can integrate nicely with other scaling layers. And so I don't even think this is a war at all. It's really mostly like entertainment. It's like watching intellectual frauds who have been at the front of this movement as attention has shifted towards like what's happening in smart contracts. Now that people are interested in Bitcoin again, it's like these intellectually not intellectuals, like people who are masquerading as intellectuals getting washed out and like them keep embarrassing themselves and trying to come back and us just turning the microwave on and enjoying the popcorn as like people say the most ridiculous things that you could imagine further revealing that they were naked the entire time, not wearing any clothes. So it's just more like entertainment than any type of war. And there's no nothing to fight about, really. <laughs> Ordinals can't be stopped. And yeah, there's. I think everybody gets what they want. The protocol, basically our protocol doesn't need to change. And yet people can build new cool things that bring in users. We have Dan held up here. Dan, what's your take? Are we in a new block size war? Is it a culture war? It's definitely yeah. not an intellectual war, for sure. Yeah, of course, no one's proposing making any changes to Bitcoin other than the Puritan kind of small minority. But outside of that, I don't think there's a legitimate, and I don't think a serious conversation going on around changing Bitcoin. It's more culturally and, and identity oriented around what's Bitcoin's purpose and what is or isn't a, a valid or useful transaction on L1. And so I think it's pretty obvious that Bitcoin's a permissionless system. Any transaction that occurs, and it occurs within the current rules that are allowed in the protocol, is a valid transaction. That is entirely what we've been preaching for over a decade. And they can cry harder, as some of the Puritans would put it, their favorite quote, cry harder. I think it's really sad to see how many people were disillusioned by the payments narrative. And this is why I don't think many people remember this, but almost six years ago, I built my early brand in the space. Like, I'm a product guy. I built the most popular mobile app in 2013 that got bought by Zero, that got by blockchain.com, and I was the first product manager there in December 13. Product and marketing background aside, I only started to write content in 2017, 2018. And the reason why I wanted to is to crush the Bitcoin cash narrative. Bitcoin was in a civil war, and the payments narrative had misaligned resources in the community mindshare to such a degree that it led to a civil war where the Bitcoin cash community forked off. And I thought we had grinded that narrative into a pretty fine powder and threw it into the winds. I don't think anyone is really left over there because they never really grokked how Bitcoin and blockchain tech scaled. So I thought this discussion was over. Unfortunately, the insidious payments narrative keeps popping its head up due to, I would say, a complete lack of intellectual honesty or product-centric thinking. So a lot of people like to prescribe what they want Bitcoin to be onto the network and onto customers, which is they want it to be this payment method they use every day. They are not empathetic with the actual customer experience of using Bitcoin for that purpose. So it's more of hobbyists going, yeah, man, I really want to pay for things using Bitcoin, but they're not being customer-centric of going, okay, well, what problem is that solving? And so it's just really unfortunate, again, to see the, the death of 
hundreds of Bitcoin payments related to startups from 2013 through 2016, to see the Bitcoin Cash hard fork wars from 17 through 2020. And now again, we're starting to see this parent payments narrative lead to a bunch of disillusioned folks where they're like, oh no, it's becoming too expensive for me to transact on L1. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We all agreed that this was how Bitcoin was going to scale. And so I really want to hammer home the point of how misaligned the Bitcoin is meant to be your coffee payments narrative is and how insidious it is and detrimental to Bitcoin adoption because it misaligns people to such a degree that it's led to a civil war, hundreds of startups failing, and mass disillusionment whenever fees go up. This was entirely predictable. We all agreed this is how Bitcoin should scale. Store value, high value assets, highly economically dense assets, as Nick Carter puts it in his MIT speech, which I saw in person in 2018. We all knew that high economically dense transactions would be the predominant transactions in L1, which would include not only Bitcoin, but other dense, economically dense transactions like potentially JPEGs or other very valuable things. Yeah, I just want to voice my frustration. It's just insane. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because it's like the third time, third wave I've had this conversation. And I, I just can't believe that there is this subset of Puritans pushing this Bitcoin's payments narrative to such a degree that we have this again coming up. It blows my mind. Yeah, I pinned this tweet at the top. This is from Anita. She's actually a Bitcoiner that I really kind of respect. And she spends a lot of time and effort on onboarding people in, in, in third world countries to Bitcoin. And I'll just read out the tweet. She's saying, can anyone explain how am I going to onboard people with these fees? We can't use on-chain, which means we can open new lightning channels. So that means it makes custodial lightning the only real option. And all of that because some people think it's fun to break Bitcoin. Why don't they use Liquid or RSK is what she's asking. And I think like from her point of view, this is actually what she's doing. She is actually spending most of her time in Africa and other third world countries, literally trying to find ways that Bitcoin can be helpful to people there. She's been doing this for a while. And the, the problem she's describing is real. And from her point of view, it is an issue. But I think more, like the bigger picture to look at is like, why are we trying to onboard people in third world countries into solutions that we know cannot work? If Lightning has a problem when fees go up and we can't onboard people anymore, then what are we doing? because we know that fees are going to go up or Bitcoin is not going to work. Those are the two options. So either fees are going to go up long-term or Bitcoin is not going to be sustainable. So why are we trying to push those solutions that we know cannot work? What are we trying to do here? And then we see that a lot in the Bitcoin community. I, I really do think it's well-intentioned. I don't think there's like bad intentions there, but there's some fundamental misunderstanding where people are literally onboarding actual real people into solutions that fundamentally can't work, people building companies around ideas that cannot work, that we already know they can't work or figure it out. <laughs> and then there's a period where basically no one is using it because there's very little interest. And when no one is using it, you can say, okay, I onboarded five people. So let me have some cloud for onboarding five people in some village. But it's making very little impact. If there was real impact, Bitcoin literally couldn't have sustained it. Again, but fees would go up and it would not be sustainable. We, we know this already. So we're doing those cute little gimmicks. And then at the, 
in the point in time where Bitcoin does end up having some on-chain usage, then we freak out. We need to use Liquid, we need to use RSK, we need to figure something out like today. <laughs> That's problematic. I just feel like there's a lot of lack of fundamental thinking around this kind of stuff. And that's where we can't, I'm really not a big believer in central planning. I don't think that there's, I don't think any of us are talented and skilled enough to be able to say today what the market is going to look like 10 years from now. I don't think we can predict it. There's so many parameters. We don't know how they're going to play out. And this attempt to like plan things, I think that's what's causing those issues. But if instead what we do is we say, okay, look, Let's try to build like whatever. Let's try to build everything. Let's not try to put the, you know, put the future of humanity to depend on the success of any one specific project because we don't know if that specific project is going to succeed or not. We don't know how it's going to have to mutate and shift in order to eventually be a success. Let's just try all of the things and not try to pin the, the survival of humanity on, on any single one of them. And let's see what happens. And I think if you do take a step back, if you are kind of a semi-laser-eye maxi and you have this opinion right now that what's happening is, is wrong and bad for people in third world countries and so on, I think if you take a step back from that and you say, okay, actually, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I didn't know that BRC20s are going to happen and I don't know what's going to happen in, in, in four weeks and I don't know what's going to happen in four months and I don't know what's going to happen in four years. So let's take a step back and see, hey, can we make something work and make something work and make people use any of this whatsoever and then just trust that a diverse ecosystem of builders will eventually figure it out because the incentives are there i think that's the only way to go yeah i I completely agree we have people beating down our doors trying to do a bunch of things on bitcoin let's solve those problems not the, the theoretical use cases that we can speculate might be big in the future it's cool to have a subset working on that but maybe like 10 percent of the builders in the space are working on that not 95 like percent, and that's the change that's much needed here like we have like just very standard kind of silicon valley style like move fast ship code listen to your users and try to build products and meet their demand and solve their problems that's what bitcoin was missing my kind of personal agenda with this show is to make it encouraged to try stupid experiments. I want you to be able to come along, hack something together some weekend, release it onto Bitcoin, have it fail terribly, and then come up here and we celebrate that. And that's the recipe for innovation. And that's basically the antithesis of Bitcoin's culture for the past five years and has led to essentially stagnation on their chain.